first things first, rest in peace, sucker fear. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Off the Wall Podcast. As always, I'm Andrew George, joined by my co-host, Michael T. Smith. How we doing, Mike? You know, I'm actually doing great. Um, I know you know that this has been a pain in the butt for me, but uh, I finally figured out my mic. Hopefully, knock on wood, we'll see once we put the audio together. But uh, I got a new mic, yeah, a month and a half ago, and it's just been the biggest pain trying to figure this out and get it working. But so far, I think we're doing all right. Well, considering your laptop is the equivalent of like a baked potato, it's uh, <laughs> uh, it's definitely an upgrade. Uh, definitely on my end too. I could hear you a little clearer. Yes. But um, no. So today, we are joined by a very special guest who's actually sitting right next to me. Uh, my brother Peter George. Peter, how we doing? I'm doing well. Andrew and Mike, I'm really glad you guys are doing well. And uh, long time listener, first time caller, or guest, whatever we're doing here, whatever word you want to use. So I'm <laughs> happy to be, happy to be here. All right, yeah, for sure. So what we're going to start off with is. So obviously those that um, have been following like ESPN, uh, just different sports news that's been going on is uh, big things been going on is the negotiations in the MLB between the owners and the players. And so obviously uh, Mike, our baseball correspondent here, (laughs) uh, Zencaster. So we, I know how much uh, baseball really means to you. And um, I know we talked for a while on the phone last night about kind of the future of baseball and what these negotiations really mean and um it's it honestly like hurts me to see kind of like this uncertainty in the air with the sport that i know you love so much so um with that being said i'll preface it i'll swing it over to you and peter um also want to just preface everything by saying uh rob man uh manfred get your shit together um pardon my language but um no i'll preface it by saying that but um yeah swing it over to you and peter kind of just uh start with whatever you want just take it away yeah, so do you want to start, Peter, or do you want me to go? Um, I can go if you want. Yeah, sounds good. Take it away. So have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Wall Street? Oh, with uh, Michael Douglas? Michael Douglas and Charlie Sheen. I have not. It's an older movie, <laughs> movie. And um, one of the lines that Michael Douglas says is, greed is good. Um, it's an all-time movie quote, but I think in this case, it's bad. Because um, that's what the main issue has been with the players and the owners. Um, it's been a greed issue because it's all about money. Uh, you know, when this whole... Sp- Things started. I originally placed the blame on the players and the owners. Um, I think Blake Snell had a comment that was very similar to Latrell Sprewell's "I have a family to feed" comment, <laughs> um, which is one of my all-time favorite comments. Where he was unhappy that he wasn't going to be paid his full seven million dollars salary. I mean, if you're smart financially, you'd be able to save that. Um, but I think as this has shifted and as this has kind of transitioned, I'd say a lot of my blame has been more on the owners and specifically, you know, Rob Manfred who, you know, Andrew kind of mentioned it earlier, he's a joke of a commissioner. And if, if anything, he's made the game worse since he took over for Bud Selig. Um, if you're calling the commissioner's trophy, which is the World Series trophy, a piece of metal, and you're the commissioner of baseball, <laughs> I recommend you find a new profession. Yeah, nope, I totally agree with that. Um, so in the famous words of Pat Riley once LeBron left the Miami Heat, I'm pissed. Um, So, yeah, and just to kind of like, if you haven't really been keeping up with what's going on, so of the major sports in America, baseball is really the only one that has yet to have kind of a set plan as far as coming back because obviously the whole sporting industry has been rocked by COVID-19, right? They've had about two and a half months to figure this shit out, and they have not. Um, 
So just kind of on a long rant of how I feel about this whole thing, I am 100%. This is on the owners. It is not on the players. They agreed back in March on prorated salaries, meaning basically they get paid for the amount of games that get played, right? So essentially, if you played 81 games, which is half of a standard Major League Baseball season, you would get paid half of your salary. That's fair. But now what the owners are trying to do in these negotiations, first, they wouldn't offer prorated salaries to the players, or they'll offer... They wanted to do games in the ballpark of about 40 or 50 game regular season, which is an absolute joke of a season. Um, and they would offer, you know, less than prorated salaries for, or excuse me, they would offer prorated salaries for that. Well, then they'd renegotiate and they'd offer, you know, 70 something games, but less than prorated salaries for that. But the math all works out to where the salaries are the same. So they're essentially offering what is the same deal, just a different amount of games for these players. And what's become evident to me, and this is unfortunate to say because I do love baseball, but the Major League Baseball owners and Rob Manfred do not care about the game whatsoever. I mean, everything that's taken place during this holdout is a resemblance of that. The fact that they want to do a BS 50-game season is resemblant of that. And that's actually why, because in the most recent negotiations, um, both sides are kind of stalled right now. And Trevor Bauer made an interesting point on Twitter that the reason the owners are doing this is so that um, in a couple weeks they'll reoffer the 50-game season and then players cannot file for a grievance for more games because at that point in time, realistically, it's harder to do more games than that. But the players have been saying they're ready to play right now. And what's concerning to me, this already has a damaging effect on baseball. Whether or not we have a season will be, um, we'll see, I guess, in the coming weeks. But regardless, it has a damaging effect on baseball. If we have no season at all, I truly believe this will have worse ramifications than the 1994 strike given that pandemic um, that's happening because, and I'm fully on the player's side, but regardless, a lot of public opinion is going to be you have billionaires fighting millionaires, which is true in a sense. Um, And I mean, there's people during this pandemic that have been furloughed, they've been laid off, they've been completely removed from their jobs over the last three months. And frankly, I mean, sports is an escape from them. and They don't want to see millionaires fighting billionaires. As it pertains to Manfred specifically, I mean, this dude has got to go. He's just, my God, he makes Bud Selig look like a saint. And Selig was not the best commissioner either. But some of the stuff that he's been doing just irritates the hell out of me as it comes to the game, right? Because he says he's trying to make it better, which I'm perfectly fine with, right? The NFL constantly evolves. The NBA constantly evolves. The NHL constantly evolves. That's fine. But what this dude does is he implements stupid rules that hurt the integrity of the game, such as trying to put a clock on baseball. There's a reason that clocks, like, there isn't a timer in baseball. I mean, it is supposed to replicate an endless summer night, that sort of thing. And it just is a timeless game. He also tries to put runners on second base in extra innings, which is a complete joke. And he needs to focus on marketing the game. I know you and I talked about this a lot last night, Andrew, but instead of tearing it down, like the dude literally, it's not like he's saying we want to make the game better for our fans. He's basically saying in what um, a lot of what he said is that he thinks the game essentially is shitty in of itself and we're trying to almost revolutionize it. You don't have to do that. And it's, What boggles my mind, too, is he has had the perfect opportunity to market baseball because they do the worst job of any of the major sports, especially when it comes to the NFL and NBA that do a far better job of marketing their players. Since in my lifetime, this is the best 
core of young players I have seen, and I would argue it even stretches back to before I was born for decades now. The best core of young players that are coming into this game, and not only are they great young players, they're exciting. You're talking about the Ronald Acunas, Francisco Lindors, Javier Baez. Even in big markets like New York and L.A., which is a selling point of your product, you have Aaron Judge on the Yankees. You have Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger on the Dodgers. And they have just absolutely done a terrible job of marketing these players. And that's why I think your average fan age is 59 years old, which is really concerning. Um, and I think part of that stems, too, is that we just need to get youth interested in the game, right? And I don't think they're not interested in the standpoint. I think a lot of people play baseball or t-ball at some point growing up, right? But I think once you have to start specializing in sports, baseball is the one that's left in the dust, a lot for basketball, track, football, et cetera. Um, and I think with that, too, because the NBA does a great job of this, the NFL does a great job of this in their advertising, I feel like they just appreciate their history and they try to get fans engaged in their history. Major League Baseball doesn't do that at all, which it's not to say there are obviously certain points in their history as with other American sports that are ugly, but it is, I mean, we have the longest history of any major sport in America and there are a lot of things that just aren't frankly talked about and players that aren't talked about in baseball that they are in the way of basketball and football. And I think, that's part of the reason, too. Even when I played baseball growing up, the kids I played with didn't know anything really about the history of baseball and barely kept up with, um, you know, Major League Baseball as it was when I was playing then. So I think on behalf of Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred, I think they have absolutely failed at promoting the game. And we, we need to get people in there, both owners, which is a lot harder to do, but definitely a commissioner that cares about the game. I mean... And for as many mistakes as he's made, at least I can say Roger Goodell cares about basketball. Adam Silver definitely, or football, Adam <laughs> Silver definitely cares about basketball. But those are commissioners you actually have invested in progressing the sport, whereas I don't feel the same way about Rob Manfred. And I guess I'll leave it there with everything that's been going on over the last few months. Yeah, just real quick, um, I'll let Peter jump in after this, but uh, just to your point about this the absence of really reaching like that uh youthful audience and especially minority groups too particularly african-americans like just be, being able to connect with that kind of fan base um has really just been kind of just absent from manfred's kind of thought process it seems like and i know we mentioned like you said like we talked for a while last night um like even like basketball does the best job like, i mean without a doubt of marketing their players especially to younger generations like i know i mentioned to you like I'll go play pickup um, at like say like my local rec center, and you'll see kids walk in with these uh, slam magazine hoodies and shirts that are. Um, you see these kids that are seven, eight years younger than me. I'm only 19, and they're wearing hoodies with uh, white chocolate. Jason Williams, uh, like Jason Richardson, like with the Warriors, like a lot of old school players where they like literally from the time when they were born, like um, like they death so they're having that exposure, which I feel like if baseball were to do that, because I, I agree, like we talked about guys that we grew up like just loving to watch, like from Grady Sizemore, it's like Alfonso Soriano, like Eric Chavez, like Bobby Abreu, that's a name from the past, but like all those guys, like uh, I feel like it's like you said, like the history is definitely there. It's just, an, I think it's just the effort that they need to make to really reach that audience, which I think can help just for future generations. But I'll swing it over to Peter right next to me. And I'm glad you mentioned the, um, the lack of, um, you know, African-Americans in baseball. I just realized um, Kyler Murray. Yeah. Kyler Murray was a top 10 pick by the Oakland A's. 
and he was number one overall pick by the Cardinals, which is unheard of. And even Jameis Winston, who was a you know really good pitcher at FSU, and then obviously number one overall pick for Tampa, and hopefully his LASIK surgery helps him out. Um, yeah, that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you do have talented players who are younger, and even if they do get into the game, they're still picking basketball over baseball, football over yeah. baseball. Um, and you know, I'm thinking about the baseball versus football argument. You know, if I'm, you know, I remember when Kyler was debating, you know, should I go the baseball route or kind of go the football route? If you care about your physical health, you'll go to baseball route. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't blame him. If I'm the number one pick, of course I'm going to Arizona. Plus, it's a nice state. Um, yeah. And I don't have to go to the minors either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of wish that they would really just kind of do a better job of promoting their game in those, um, you know, African-American communities. No, I I agree. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. I agree though with that. And it it is interesting. I will say for someone like a Jameis Winston, I don't think he would have been drafted quite as high as Kyler Murray, because like you Mm -hmm. said, going top 10 in both sports is unheard of. And I don't blame Kyler Murray at all because I feel like a lot of people's arguments were financially and they're like long-term, you could make more in baseball but you have the short-term guarantee of football. Personally, mm-hmm. it just seemed like Kyler Murray loved football more, which I think go for that. And obviously, if you're number one pick, um, you have that stardom right away and that money right away, whereas in baseball, a lot of times you spend years of really oblivion in the minors. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is interesting your point because I think of someone like, and I don't think a lot of people know this about him, but someone like a Kenny Lofton, who was a guard at the University of Arizona while he also played baseball for them, that team made it to the final four, the basketball mm-hmm. team, and he was projected to be a lottery pick in the draft. He chose to play baseball, which is, I would argue, a harder path in getting to the pros just because you have to jump all those levels of minor leagues. But he chose to do that. And to him, he said, for him, it was harder, which is interesting. But it is that I do think a lot of kids, if they have to choose between one or the other, if you know they're blessed enough to be good at both, they're going to choose the alternative as opposed to baseball. And as far as getting the um, African-American community, you know, more invested in baseball, I know Ken Griffey Jr. said that um, baseball needs to make a point of doing that. And I completely agree because I think that's part of the lost history of baseball. But there are so many just, um, you know, black players that have made such an impact on this game. Um, And I think that goes lost a little bit, too. But. I mean, definitely their impact shouldn't go unheard. And I think, you know, that's part of what we're losing in that you're seeing the numbers decline in black players that are playing on baseball. Because literally there are some teams where I think there's um, only one or two, you know, black athletes on the baseball team. And that's not to say that I still think baseball is a fairly diverse sport because you have a lot of Latin um, Americans that come and play um, from, you know, Colombia, the Dominican, Puerto Rico, Venezuela, you have Japanese and Koreans, but um, we are losing an important part of, you know, baseball in that I feel like um, we do have a lack of black athletes that play. And I think that is something that Major League Baseball needs to look into more heavily. I know guys like Ryan Howard have organizations or are working with organizations that are trying to diversify baseball from that point a bit more. Um, but it is definitely something I think Major League Baseball needs to, if they aren't already, definitely make an effort. But if they are, just continue that and maybe further it even more. And so, like, sticking with baseball, um, obviously they had the uh, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, 30 for 30. 
uh, last week, I believe. And so obviously big conversation with that is the steroid era of baseball. And I know um, the three of us have talked about it a ton. And I think this is where we might start to see a little bit of a divide in the conversation. <laughs> um, uh, but um, yeah, so we'll, we'll, we'll go, we'll go with Peter first. Um, what do you, I know you haven't watched the um, social, you haven't watched the McGuire thing, right? Not yet. Not, no. not yet. Um, yeah. So we'll kind of stray away from the details of that just so, cause I also wanted to give that a watch too. So, but just kind of your thoughts on the steroid era and, um, kind of everything with that, whether it be like Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. legacy, that kind of stuff. It was exciting. Um, it was an exciting era for baseball. And, you know, Sosa McGuire did save the game because their whole battle for the home run champ was right after the lockout. And um, it brought a lot of people back into the – brought a lot of butts in the seats, basically. And, you know, I never, ever condone – or I would never condone or would never advise anyone to use PEDs or steroids because, <laughs> I mean, if you just kind of, like, shoot yourself physical health-wise, by all means. You know, you look at guys like Bonds, Clemens, Sosa, McGuire, and they may never get into the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, if it were up to me, I would definitely put those guys in the Hall of Fame. Um, did they cheat? Yeah, kind of. Um <laughs> But at the same time, you know, Cooperstown isn't just a Hall of Fame, it's a museum. Um, those guys, like it or not, were a huge part of the history of the game. And if even, if even if you want to, you know, you can create a separate wing in Cooperstown. You can recognize the guys from that era and, um, you know, put them where they belong. So with with that, I'm going to hop in real quick because um, this is kind of where I, I understand where you're coming from and I agree with parts of what you're saying. But... Mm-hmm. Um, in a sport like baseball where records mean so much, um, mm-hmm. more so than I forgot who was saying, I was watching ESPN the other day and they kind of made a point of this where like, if you ask somebody, um, like in basketball, like who's the all time, Bob what'd you say? Who's Bob Costas. <laughs> Bob Co- yeah. Costas. Yeah. He was saying this, like, like it means records mean so much more in baseball. Just kind of, I feel like just when you're talking about the scope of the game and with those, it's like. Like, we'll use Bonds for an example. Like, that record, although he accumulated, he got it, it has an asterisk, like, next to it that you just can't ignore. And even to the Sosa McGuire thing, I never got, I didn't watch it yet, but watching the promo of it, um, yeah, they're showing, like, yeah, they saved the game, like, all their home runs going back and forth, the whole journey. And you have that. Um, and then in the end, it said, like, I know I was telling you guys this, like, they said, like, oh, was it worth it? And then not even two minutes later, they had like a top 10 moments from the Sosa McGuire thing. And not one thing was mentioned about the steroids. And they were like, man, like, look at them go, like all this honor and stuff. So it's like, of course, from their perspective, of course it was worth it. And kind of like, um, doesn't make it right. Of course not, but they're going to think it was worth it. But it's like, and the last thing I'll say with this, and I'll swing it over to you, Mike, is um, the denial that some of these guys have is just ridiculous. Like it's, it's so like... Barry talk Barry Bonds' head from Pittsburgh to San Francisco literally grew like triple the size. <laughs> like um, and uh, and then with uh, I know you told me like in the documentary like so it was a kind of strays away from just directly acknowledging that and it's like I don't know, just own up to what you did like you're a professional baseball player so I don't know uh, I'll, what do you think Mike? No and um I guess I'll start with the documentary first because I this is probably the biggest part of that steroid era um. It wasn't. It was an okay documentary. It was good, not great. I would say just because they kind of actually focused on the steroid era for only like ten or fifteen minutes at the very end, and it was a two-hour-long documentary. So, I feel like that's a huge part of the story. But I guess that's beside the point. Um, 
Yeah, it sucks that Maguire and Sosa did steroids. And Maguire openly admitted to it. Sosa, when asked about it, basically said um, while everyone was doing it. So he didn't say yes or no, but I feel like unless you say no, you did it. Because why else would you not just directly <laughs> answer the question and say no? Um, and what sucks with that specific home run chase for me, too, is that there were so many great things about that that were tainted now. I will admit it, and this is painful to admit, it did save baseball in a sense because, um, as Peter mentioned, you had the 1994 strike, um, which, I mean, basically ruined attendance for the next three years because fans were just not showing up to games. Um, Fans weren't watching games at home, which sucks because you had some great World Series between 95 and 97. And this is what really got people back in their seats. Because what people don't realize, not only were McGuire and Sosa selling out in Chicago and St. Louis where they played, they were selling out at away venues. Like, people were paying to watch them, not even their own team, which is kind of ridiculous to think about. Um, And it sucks because the chase itself was tainted, obviously. I remember watching in the documentary uh, Jack Buck, who is Joe Buck's father, which... I actually happen to like Joe Buck. I know a lot of people in Cleveland don't because of the whole 2016 World Series. But Jack Buck in of himself is legendary. I do believe he's in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, Unbelievable broadcaster for the Cardinals for decades. Like, he had seen so much baseball history. He was old enough to have seen Jackie Robinson, like, be integrated into the majors. So he's seen it all. And he was crying at, like, what um, that moment meant. Because, like Andrew said, that record means something because numbers in baseball mean so much um and it was one that honestly no one prior to that thought would be broken and the fact that not just one dude did it but two dudes did it was unbelievable obviously until you figure out they did steroids um roger maris's family was there when mark mcguire broke the record and he paid his respects to them which was a beautiful moment roger maris had died prior to that but he had held that single season home run record for years um, and also, this is beside the point, but I find it interesting. A lot of people get off the hot starts while they hit like 30 home runs, 35 home runs before the All-Star break. I don't think it's the record itself that is so hard to catch. Not that it isn't, but I think it's the pressure that comes with it because you're being constantly asked every day. What people forget is halfway through the season, Ken Griffey Jr. was second in this race. It wasn't Sammy Sosa who had 20 home runs in the month of June or July that put him basically into that chase. But he ended up fading out, and that's who a lot of people thought could do it at the time. Um, For me, with the Hall of Fame argument, and here's the thing, Bud Selig knew what was going on. Baseball kind of just turned a blind eye to it, in part, I think, because it was saving the sport. I don't think you can't not acknowledge that history, as painful as it is for me to say that. Um, And I, I do agree with Peter in the sense that there should be a wing that at least acknowledges it. Yeah, you probably talk about the prominent players who did it because you can't just remove their names from baseball history. Like, it is there now. That's the museum part of the Hall of Fame. As far as the Hall of Fame itself and the room where those players are enshrined, I don't think that a guy like Bonds or Clemens or McGuire or Sosa should be in there just because those numbers are with an asterisk. And it does suck because the Baseball Hall of Fame lacks the all-time leading hits leader, all-time home run champ one of the best pitchers of all time i mean hell you have probably i think it's four or five of the top 10 home run hitters of all time did steroids um and then you have the top three single season home run leaders because barry bonds ended up passing both mcguire and sosa a few years later with 73 i mean all those records have asterisks next to them so 
it's an unfortunate situation, but to me, it's hard to put those guys in the Hall of Fame. No, I agree. Um, like I, I, cause I, I agree with Peter's point about the wing, and then, but also with your point because like the Hall of Fame in any sport is like that's what you shoot for when when you enter in the league. Like I want to be a Hall of Famer. I want to be a champion. So that honor um, shouldn't really be rewarded like with that asterisk that we talked about. So I agree with that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so as we kind of swing topics a little bit, uh, as Andrew and I have mentioned in the past, we both love music. I know, Peter, you love music as well. So with that, I know the two of you, um, I would say a passion of yours is probably going to concerts. So I'll swing this over to you first, Peter. But mm. uh, what are the top five concerts you've been to and why? Mm. When I first saw this question, I had to really narrow it down. Um, I guess my top five, uh, I'll say them all first and I'll give a brief explanation. And this is no order, by the way. I'll go uh, John Mayer out in Columbus with my sister, Sarah. Um, just an amazing performer, amazing guitarist. Um, his performance of Slow Dancing in a Burning Room was worth the price of admission in a two-hour drive. Um, next one, I'll go Panic at a Disco with one of my best friends. Um, just an amazing experience. It was during the negative uh, 30 degree weather, which was crazy. And um, just to see someone's reaction to their first concert being an an amazing band like Panic and Brendan Urie as a phenomenal performer. Um, it made my day and it was just an amazing evening all around. Um, next one, probably Sam Smith and Gavin James. That was at Wolfstein mm -hmm. with one of my best friends. And we were sitting kind of like floor seats in the pit. And that was probably the best pure music concert, you know, never mind all the theatrics and like all the entertainment. Best pure music whatsoever was Sam Smith and Gavin James, where they sounded better live than they do recorded. And that's saying something. Um, the next one, probably X Ambassadors to Andrew. Oh. Um, that was probably the best value concert. We paid nothing for parking. We didn't even pay for tickets. It was like a surprise show. Made some friends while we were waiting in line. Uh, got really close um, to the stage. And uh, just another band that was an incredible live. And we went to Barrio after, which was really cool. Oh, yeah. We love Barrio. Absolutely. <laughs> and then the last Unofficial one. I really sponsor had... of the show. Unofficial. Yeah, we'll get them someday. And then the last one, probably uh, probably Kanye West with, uh, with Sarah. Um, just because he's Kanye. Yeah, we had to wait an hour and a half for him to come out. But he's Kanye, so it's okay, and we'll get to that later. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Kanye, Kanye's presence as a musician and as a genius over, you know, was better than the hour and a half wait. Oh, yeah. I uh, One comment on that, you went that Sam Smith one. I was actually supposed to go um, with that, but I was wondering how, um, I don't know, like two guys just going to Sam Smith, like, I don't know. That was when I was younger, and I was like, I don't know. Now, now I don't care like what people think. But right. back then, I was kind of like, uh, you missed I don't know. a great show. I know I missed a great, show. yeah, oh, a really good great. show. Yeah. And he's one of my favorite singers. So he's um, still one of my favorite singers. Yeah, I, that's definitely a regret <laughs> of mine. But um, my top five, I'll I'll go from, go from five five to one, obviously. And so number five, um, I had Logic on there, but I might. Uh, let me think. No, yeah, we'll stick with Logic. I was going to um, say the X Ambassadors one that Peter just mentioned uh, because that was an amazing concert, but I feel like I got more into X Ambassadors after the concert. Mm -hmm. um, but that was like, we, it was a free concert, like shout out Spectrum Mobile, um, <laughs> even though I don't know who uses them. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, And then number four, um, definitely Ed Sheeran. That was... Uh, that's another, now that's actually probably the best value concert I've ever gotten because my friend Robbie, shout out Robbie Bosco, if you're listening to this, um, he actually, so he knew how much I love Ed Sheeran and 
he was supposed, he was going with his friend Brooke, and what happened was Brooke canceled like like an hour and a half before the show, um, and he bought both tickets for them. And he asked me, he's like, "Hey, like, what are you doing tonight? You want to go?" And I like was blown away. And I was like, "Yeah, like, how much do you want for the tickets?" And he's like, "Don't worry about it." So I actually got to see Ed Sheeran, one of my all time favorite singers, um, for free at the uh, at the Q before it changed to the Rock, and um, yeah, that was insane. And then number three, definitely J Cole. Um, we saw Peter, um, mm. my ex-girlfriend, Eileen and I, uh, saw that, um, shout out Eileen. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> uh, we saw, we saw that in Columbus, um, at OSU's basketball arena. And that was just insane. Probably the best transition I've ever seen live is when he went from uh, GOMD to uh power mm-hmm. trip, um, mm-hmm. which for those J Cole fans, yeah. uh, can just imagine how, like breathtaking that was i got chills yeah it yeah. was crazy um one b so i have a one b i have a one a and one b because these are both just like i they're just so amazing so one b is got to be khalid he is probably my all-time favorite singer and he's only like 21 years old and which is insane because i just don't think we've seen anything like him in music uh from just a culture standpoint and he just has like an, an just angelic voice i've talked about him a bunch of times on this show but yeah i cried twice at that concert uh that was insane and then one a has got to be um the greatest hip-hop artist <laughs> of our generation kanye west um he is just a master mastermind with everything would you say he's better than Lil bow wow Lil bow wow it's close bow wow's got that's, like mike yeah that's but, a tough uh, one no, yeah, Kanye was that was my first big concert, and I actually went with a couple of my buddies um a couple of weeks uh, before he came to Cleveland to see him in Columbus because we couldn't wait, and uh, that was just surreal. Everything about it was just unbelievable. Hmm. By you, Mike. Yeah. So, <laughs> admittedly, I've only been to one concert ever, which was the Who last year. Um, <laughs> so I did enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, I know they're like what eighty years old now. Um, so that's only, I don't know why I've just never really been to many concerts. I'd like to go to more, but, uh, honestly, most of the people I listen to are either dead or getting up there. So <laughs> that I will present my top four concerts. I think would have been cool to go to back in their heyday. Um, so Pink Floyd would be the first one of mine just because I heard those like concerts were absolutely insane. Um, I just heard those were sweet. I love their music too. Uh, Boston would be second for me just because they're my favorite band of all time. My other two are actually like historically based concerts. Um, so my third would be Live Aid. I just think that would have been an absolutely sick concert to go to. Um, they generated $127 million to go towards uh, trying to solve famine issues in Africa. But I mean, the lineup in that concert was ridiculous. You had U2, you had The Who. Uh, you had Queen, you had mm. David Bowie, Phil Collins. Wow. Um, yeah, who am I missing? Elton John, among others. Like, I'm telling you, like, they were the best of the best of that concert. I just think that would have been sick to have gone to. And then I also think it would have been sweet to have gone to Woodstock. I just think that would have been so much fun. Um, what's interesting about that, too, I was reading, if I don't have this mistaken, is I don't think they ever expected it to get to the magnitude that it had been. One, I don't think it was supposed to be as long. And two, I don't think they had or were expecting nearly as many people that had shown up to the concert. Um, That one also had a bunch of legendary names. You had Jimi Hendrix performing the national anthem, which is probably one of the more recognizable moments in rock history. 
Um, so I just think that would have been sweet too. But those would be four that I would have loved to have gone to. Dude, that's sweet. I can't even imagine that lineup with uh, <clears throat> like Elton John, Phil Collins, all those guys. Dude, that would have been oh my god. Dude, that's Paul cool. McCartney too. Oh, oh my Sticking god. through the list right now, like literally legends were at that concert. You can revive John Lennon see if you can make it too. <laughs> but um, no, too too soon. Nah, <laughs> um, uh, kind of shifting gears though. So Peter, your birthday is coming up. Yeah, isn't uh, well, that cool? Yeah, one week. <laughs> it's not bad. Yeah, one week from today. So, um, with that, we want to ask you, and we'll touch on some of our own too. What's what is your favorite birthday memory you can remember? I've got twenty three of them to pick from. Um, <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> no. He names all of them. That episode's we're, like two and a half hours. We're gonna do a ranking. No, um, <laughs> I guess two of them come to mind. One of them is not really a favorite, but more memorable. Um, I went to Dave and Buster's with family and some close friends. And then I remember coming home and I saw a few major news events that were kind of like breaking as they were happening on TV. Um, Cavs traded for Shaquille O'Neal. Um, <laughs> that was the first one because sports was my first love. Um, Farrah Fawcett passed away and um, Michael Jackson was uh, in critical condition. And that was before I became a big MJ fan. And I didn't really know much about him when he died, but you know, his passing really led me to kind of look more into him as a person, eh, as a performer, not as a person. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> you don't want to go down that road. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, and especially as a performer and an entertainer, and he's one of my all-time favorite performer and performing artists of all time. Um, and the other one, I think it happened about two years ago, two or three years ago. Um, you know, Andrew, you and Sarah took me to a Bupiti Beppo for lunch, um, awesome Italian restaurant. And then uh, we went home. I thought we were just going to go mini golf with the rest of the family. I see 10 cars in the driveway. And I was genuinely surprised. Yeah, you were, I planned that. You, you did a <laughs> heck of a job. I'm proud of you. Um, I was genuinely surprised. I saw a bunch of my friends um, just hiding in the basement um, when we got back. And um, we just had a little party over there. That was it, not a lot surprising me, but that one really caught me off guard. No, I remember that surprise party too. I yeah. lied to you so much that day to make sure the surprise went well. Oh yeah, no, you did a good <laughs> job of speaking the truth. Um, uh, well, yeah, no. So I'll kind of I'll, I'll take it. I'll I'll go off mine. Some of my favorite ones. So before I get into mine, uh, an honorable mention of mine would be when. So before we moved to Arizona, when we were younger, um, we used to. Uh, it was the old school Seven Hills house, and we would have these. Um, we would have these big birthday parties with. Uh, we would just have we would get water slides from like Toys R Us, mm. rest in peace Toys R Us. <laughs> but um, no, like we used to, we would get these water slides and we'd um, blow them up in the front yard and I would invite like my whole grade and like we would just like the, our our house was that was the spot um mm. and we would just grill we would like my dad would grill for us and we would like kickball in the back and like use the water slides sprinklers kiddie pools all that stuff so shout out that but um my favorite one's got to be my eighth birthday party. So I spent the whole day with my buddy, Andy, um, one of my best friends to this day too. shout out Andy. And um, <laughs> so we spent the whole day at his new house, um, like on the border of like Independence, Seven Hills. And he just moved there. He had this pool. He was like the talk of uh, third grade. Like it was awesome. And uh, we spent the whole day with him. And then we drove to Dave and Buster's in Westlake. And um, I didn't know, like uh, it was my mom kind of surprised. Like we got this new minivan, um, which we ended up, it was huge at the time because they had like a dvd player and i was like oh my gosh like this is next level and um so we and we ended up using that minivan like um we don't have it anymore but we would use it for road trips and stuff and that's just the start of all the 
movies we would watch together in the car and these long, long trips and stuff. So that was special. And then the best part of that day was I won the jackpot on the uh, giant wheel and it was a thousand tickets. And the, uh, some of Dave and Buster's worker had to come and fill up the, uh, fill up the tickets cause they ran out. <laughs> and I just felt like peak like that. That's probably when I peaked just cause like, I was like, everyone was looking at me and I'm like, that's right. Like I did this. Um, and it was, yeah, that was special. I'm responsible. I'm responsible for the ticket outage. Um, and <laughs> no, but yeah. What about you, Mike? Um, so I mean, I don't know, like birthdays haven't been totally huge for me, I guess in my life. So I couldn't think of one specific moment, but there's a few that come to mind. Um, one's obviously got to be just Olive Garden the last couple of years. <laughs> um, for those of you that don't know, Andrew organizes like just an Olive Garden dinner with basically as many people as we can find that can go like in the middle of the day. Um, and we'll just go there and get Olive Garden. It's pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Also to those that have come, I'm thinking about having a roast for my 21st birthday next February, which I think would be awesome. So stay tuned for that. The uh, roast master. <laughs> It's going to be a hell of a time. <laughs> but I think, like, for me, just, like, a lot of times what I get for a birthday present, my birthday's in February, so I wouldn't be able to use it until, like, the summer months. But my dad would take me and a few of my friends to, like, a baseball game. Um, so I remember having pretty good uh, times with that. And then, obviously, I mean, getting my driver's license on my 16th birthday was pretty sweet. So, yeah, those would be mine. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> Olive Garden next year. <laughs> no, it's gonna be a roast. We can have the roast at Olive Garden. <laughs> I don't think some of the things here. we'd say we could get away with saying <laughs> yeah. would be my guess. Uh, <laughs> we'll look into that. But uh, yeah, <laughs> with Father's Day coming up this weekend, Peter, and I'll let you kind of take the bat with this first. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your favorite memory with your father? Oh man, how much time do we have? Um, not that much. Not much. <laughs> <laughs> so make it short enough. Um, I've got a, I've got a couple, um, and obviously no order. Um, I think one of them, you know, it was with Andrew, Dad, and I, uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, but specifically at a time when I was working a lot of VIP events. Oh my God, that was yeah. a great time. That was a oh yeah, go ahead. That was when Jerry Jones was got inducted. Kurt Warner. Yeah. Um, was wow. LT in that class as well? Yeah, with LT. LT. Um, um Ladanian Thompson, not Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. Um, and uh, we just got to do so much fun stuff. I never that was the first time I've ever seen the Hall of Fame induction in person. And it was just a really great weekend. Um, another one was when um, I was at BW. I went on the uh, college football playoff trip to Tampa, um, which was the first. I think it was uh, that was the first college football trip we took. And my dad ended up going with me, and we stayed a little bit later than the rest of the BW crew. And I remember the very last day we were there, um, we were eating uh, lunch on the beach. And I was having the best cooked salmon with the best rice, just overlooking the water with dad. And I called it like a piece of heaven moment, a piece of heaven on earth moment. Um, it was just so serene and uh, it was it was beautiful. Um, and in this one, um, you know, when the Cavs won the title in 2016, that was on Father's Day. Um, and I remember, I mean, everyone remembers where they were when the Cavs won, um, but just the pure emotion of it, getting to watch it with uh, dad and, and Situ, um passed away later that year god rest her soul um i mean pure emotion pure you know tears of joy and um yeah i mean that's pretty much that tops everything yeah kind of uh picking up off that last one the uh calves title um 
it's another thing we talked about last night, Mike. Yeah, Mike, Mike and I have these calls where I want to ask him like a question that should take 30 seconds. We talk for like two and a half hours. Sounds like it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um uh, yeah, that's just what that moment um with that because of as I mentioned uh, last night, Mike, like my dad was at the um 64 title mm-hmm. game when the Browns won mm-hmm. and the amount of like heartbreak he was at the like red right 88 like the drive all that stuff like that and um so to see um the emotion with like all of us uh just me as a basketball fan but just seeing finally like our city kind of win something um with my grandma and him was really special um that being said though i i want to talk about kind of like a series of kind of moments that i had with my dad so uh when i was little i had um I had a heart, so I had something that was called like sudden death, um, like arrhythmia, like syndrome. And so it's, it's, it's a complicated name, I know, but like, uh, basically it's, um, when you you ever see like an athlete running on a court or something and they just kind of like fall and like, that's it. Um, that's what I was actually born with. And so when we found, I mean, I'm all good now, had surgery and stuff, but when we, um, when we actually found out about that, I remember flying, um, kind of to different cities across the country like with my dad um meeting meeting different doctors um just eating in airports together just like literally just flying together and this is when i was i had my surgery when i was eight um so this is when i'm like six seven years old i would take time away from school and like on like weekends and just different times i would go and just fly with them and um i don't just always that was a i mean being that young and kind of being aware of uh some like that kind of issue that i had I don't having him next to me um is something that always kind of just meant a lot to me and stuff so that probably tops everything um also shout out all the browns games we've been to um i i've never that's the to see him at browns games is like yeah i've never seen him kind of like act so just like amped up in any other like environment (laughs) yeah mike yeah mike you know that Mike, mike was at the um the uh, Jets Browns game, but it was actually Baker Mayfield's first start in the first game that we won. Yep, and God, won the Super Bowl. Oh my God! Because remember they had the um the Bud Light coolers too. They like we're gonna yeah. unleash. <laughs> yeah, what could go wrong? Uh, <laughs> but like, no. So yeah, that was um yeah the Brown all the Browns games all the I mean he got me into sports uh, him mm-hmm. and Peter and uh, yeah all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, what about you, Mike? I think for me, it's not one memory, but probably just uh, collective memories. Um, I know, like, for me and my dad, like, uh, bonding point, I guess, if you will, is just baseball. One of the goals we had um, when I was younger was just, like, being able to hit every major league ballpark. So we would try to hit at least one a year. Um, and just going to, like, different sporting or uh, different ballparks with him was fun. Also, just, like, especially when I was a kid growing up, because um, – it would be a bit different as I got older, like where I was obviously watching and that sort of thing. But I just remember like, and I usually fell asleep while he was still watching the game, but just being able to like, one of the things that I love doing, um, and it is unfortunate that I can't do it now, obviously, because I'm at school, but uh, just being able to watch like the World Series with my dad, like growing up. And I always enjoyed doing that because I know I've told you this, Andrew, sometimes I don't really like watching sporting events with other people, like aside from him, just because... I have my own feelings about that. But, uh, no, I just love, like, um, all the memories we've had going to baseball games and stuff like watching the World Series on TV. I think for me, like, it's just that collective memory. That's probably my favorite one. Yeah, no, I feel hopefully um, once stuff with the virus kind of, whenever that'll be, um, 
blows over and um, if the owners and players, if we everyone get on the same page and stuff, like it'd be sweet if you, you know you and your dad can get back to going to games and stuff like that. Mm. Kind of pursue that dream, like you mentioned. Might be a big if. Yeah, <laughs> big if. Yeah. Maybe we'll talk about that a year from now. See where we're at. <laughs> There's no. I don't know. Um, with that being said, though, um, that's how we're gonna close out the show. Um, happy Father's Day to any dads listening today. No, I'm kidding. Just anybody. <laughs> happy Father's Day. Um, uh, and as always, remember to um, follow us on Instagram, Twitter at off the wall underscore bw. Uh, please feel free DM us. Um, text us, email us, <laughs> whatever you want. Send an owl over to our houses with notes. Um, <laughs> Harry, Harry Potter style. Harry, Harry Potter style. Yeah. Uh, just let us know if you want anything you want to hear talked about. Um, yeah, and once again, just oh yeah, thank you for listening. We'll see you guys.